Our mission at Cross Point Baptist Church, we're about helping people find and follow Jesus. We want more people to know Christ as our Lord and Savior and then live their life for him as living out the truths that found in the Bible, what Jesus done for us and sharing it with others. So on, on with that, we're going to continue in our series. We've been calling this series, How God Makes Bad Men Good, the book of Romans. And so if you brought your Bibles with you, I'll say this every single Sunday, open your Bibles. Today we're going to be in Romans chapter 10. We're going to be starting verse, verse 1, but primarily through 9 through 17, a sermon I'm calling, Why the Gospel? As you're getting your Bibles there, I just want to kind of preface this message because as Southern Baptists, typically we, I know I am, uh, this is true for me, I'm very hard on other preachers, other churches or denominations that are, I would say, light on the Bible, okay? And then rightfully so. If, if somebody is taking scripture out of context, bending it, twisting it, and delivering it in a false way, I, I, I call them out regularly. So that being said, we're going to hit some text today that I believe if we are not applying that to our life, then we're guilty of the same thing. Okay, so this morning as I preach this sermon, if I have exegeted the text correctly, if I'm presenting it the way the Apostle Paul has written to us, if you are convicted, that should tell you a little something, okay? We should be doing something that of which we are learning in God's word, okay? So with that being said, I think we need to be equally hard on ourselves today as we are on somebody else, okay? Keep that in mind, okay? Let's jump into this text. I'm going to preface this with a little illustration. Does anybody here have a child that's on the rebellious side? Don't raise your hands. Don't raise your hands. I don't know if my mom's not, she, my mom's in California. She might be watching right now. She might be raising her hand on, on her couch this morning. I don't know, but I might be redeemed that rebellious child. And the reason I was, maybe my mom would say that I was a rebellious child might not be the same reason other parents would. I might be called a rebellious child because it wasn't that I, I refused to do something. It's I refused to do something unless I knew the Why? Because the why is very important, right? I was that kid, if, if you told me to do something and I knew why, well, then I will gladly do that. And I think that might, might be where we're at in the book of Romans. Because the Apostle Paul has been laying out some just amazing truths through us to us through the first nine chapters of this book. In chapter one, he has explained very clearly how we are all under the impending wrath of a holy God. Okay, that's chapter one. Chapter 2, Paul says that the, the religion saves no one, okay? And then he goes on to tell how we can be freely forgiven by faith alone and grace alone through what Christ has done for us in our place. That's Romans chapter 3. And then how Father Abraham is his, his prime example of how anybody gets saved because it's by faith alone. Because Paul says, quoting Moses, that he believed in God and was counted to him as righteousness. That is the imputed righteousness of Christ, or how I've been saying it, how God makes bad men good. That's chapter 4. In Romans chapter 5, he has told us just how assured our salvation is. In Romans chapter 6, he has said how we've been freed from our old slave master who is sin, and we are freed to, to live for our new master who is Christ. And then he says, and don't go back to the old slave plantation. That's my summation of Romans chapter 6. Then in Romans chapter 7, Paul spoke at length 
about his own personal struggle with sin. You see, what Paul wanted just to know is that you sin, I sin, we all sin, but as a believer, we don't have to sin anymore because this new relationship we have with Christ. Romans chapter eight tells us there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus and how this believer has been adopted into the family of God and been indwelt by the Holy Spirit, the third member of the Trinity, and how we can never, ever, never, ever, ever be separated from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus our Lord, no matter what. And then we come to Romans chapter 9, and, and Paul explained how the plan of God for Israel, it never changed because salvation has come through the Jews. And his name is Jesus. And that brings us to Romans chapter 10, which I want to take us back to our, our initial il, il, illustration that I will do something if I know the why. Back when I was in high school, I, I wrestled in, in high school, and I remember very vividly, I remember my coach, I'm on the mat, I'm wrestling, and my coach screaming at me from the, from the, from the chair, circle. He's screaming that at me, and the, most of the wrestler, you non-wrestlers in the room have no idea what I'm talking about. But to circle means move your feet. Move your feet in a circular motion which prepares, compels you in a, in, a, in a circle, and it has to be constant. It's not just go run around once and you're good to go. It's constant motion. It's constant circling. It's moving, moving, moving at all times and maintaining a proper stance. And here's the deal about that. It's exhausting. It is absolutely exhausting to do that correctly. So as a high school wrestler, I'm thinking, well, wouldn't it be easier if I just planted my feet and duke this thing out? And the correct answer is no. Not if you want to win, right? If you want to win, you have to be constantly moving, which makes you harder to take down. So your defense is, is, is better. But it also makes you a better offensive wrestler because you're constantly putting yourself in a better position while maintaining a proper stance. But again, it's absolutely exhausting. And so the Apostle Paul has been explaining some absolutely amazing thing called justification or the imputed righteousness of Christ. Now, we don't deserve this. We can never earn the imputed righteousness of Christ, but he freely gives it to us through our faith in Jesus Christ. And now that we've received this, there's something that we are to do with this in which we now know. And I think the Apostle Paul, at this point in the book of Romans, he's like anticipating the why. Because he knows we're going to ask this why question, right? Because we are commanded to do something as believers that's not exactly easy. Wouldn't it be just so much easier now that we're saved by grace through faith to just kind of just, just put our feet up on the couch, take it easy and just relax and, and wait for King Jesus to come take us home? Something called the rapture. Lord willing, we're going to talk about this next week when we go to Romans chapter 11. But just wait until Jesus comes and takes his church. And just wait for Jesus, maybe have a Bible study or maybe a hundred. And just fill our, our heads with this Bible knowledge and, and learn about Jesus. And just wait for Jesus to take us home. Wouldn't that be great? Or maybe, just maybe, there's something we're supposed to be doing with all this that we now know. We, well, I think that if we're going to be motivated to act on this, I think Paul knows that we're going to ask why. With that, let's pick up our Bibles. Romans chapter 10, beginning in verse 9. The word of God says, Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. 
For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between the Jews and the Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls in the name of the Lord, they will be saved. How then will they call on him and who they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him who they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, the Lord who has believed what he has heard from us. Verse 17, so faith comes by hearing and hearing through the words of Christ. I think this might be some of the clearest scripture on how somebody who is bound to hell, how they come to know Jesus Christ, their savior, and how they get saved. You know, there's some that thinks the Bible, the Bible's so hard to understand. I think what we just read is pretty black and white, right? Let me say something that's kind of found, is, is very, very foundational to, to, uh, to Christianity, and that is salvation is a work of God. Being saved, it is totally an act of God. If God did not save you, you would never be saved. Okay? God is sovereign, and God has already, um, his, his sovereignty has already been noted earlier in this book. Because in God's sovereignty, he predestines, he elects, and then he calls. Look what Paul had earlier said in Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 30. He says, and, excuse me, and those whom he predestined, he also called. This is speaking of God. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. So can we agree that salvation is totally of God? The salvation and forgiveness of sin, it is truly a divine work. But hear me, okay? Understand what I'm about to say on this. At the same time, it's also a human work. Pause for dramatic effect. Yeah? Uh, Before you start deeming me a heretic, hear what I have to say about this. People become the instruments in the hand of a sovereign God that he uses to make salvation happen. You know what that means? That means that, that evangelism is the intersection between divine predestination and human volition. Does that make sense? Evangelism is cooperation between people and God. Evangelism is where I say, I will go and I will tell others about what God has done for all of mankind. Think about this. This this is something I chew on all the time. Um, If you were the sovereign God of the universe, thank goodness none of us are. You better thank God that I'm not and be happy for that. But if you were God, would you choose people as as your ultimate tool to reveal yourself to the world? I think we would all answer clearly, no. There would be a lot more pomp and circumstance. It'd be something out of the Marvel universe should any of us be God, right? But in the end, we need to be very happy that that he is God and none of us are God. But God, who is sovereign, God does the electing, God does the predestining, God does the calling, God does the saving, but then he uses people to do it. 
And I want to say, some people are just kind of better at evangelism than others. There are some guys I know, it just seems, we, we, we would go out and we would share the gospel. I can think of times in, in, in South America, Central America, we're out and there's a couple guys where, it's just like they open their mouth and people want to give their life to Jesus. But here's the thing, all believers are called to it. All believers are called to preach the gospel. Though, though we are all called to share the gospel with unbelievers, there are some requirements Okay? There are some requirements to share the gospel if you're going to be successful at it. Remember the why? Pick up your Bibles in Romans chapter 10, beginning in verse 1. Paul writes, brothers, it's my heart's desire and prayer to God for them that they might be saved. Here's my first point for us, point number one. In order to effectively share the gospel, you must care. Do you hear what Paul just said in that verse? He said, it is my heart's desire and prayer to God for them that they might be saved. We may be thinking, well, who is the them that Paul is talking about? There's a, there's a pronoun, them. Well, who's the them? Paul is still speaking of the Jewish people that he began speaking of back in Romans chapter 9. Probably flip back a page. Look in Romans chapter 9, beginning in verse 1. Paul said, I am speaking the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience bears witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen according to the flesh. Did you know that it's possible to have great joy and great sorrow in your heart at the exact same time? If you have an unbelieving family member that you love that's far from Christ, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Because you have the joy of the Lord in your heart at the same time your heart is breaking because someone that you love does not love Christ back. If you remember in, back in Romans chapter 8, Paul discussed these amazing benefits for being a child of God. And then he turns around in Romans chapter 9 and he says his heart is breaking for his fellow Jews that don't know Jesus so there's, I think this is at least at one level why the Apostle Paul has such a heart for evangelism. So here's the application for us. This is the takeaway. This is what we must apply to our life based off this. Evangelism, it begins by caring. If you know a person or if you know a group of people that are far from Christ and you want them to know Christ, you have to begin by first caring about them. That, that will eventually lead you to sharing the gospel, but it all begins by caring. Evangelism, it starts where you care for the lost. Because the truth is, if you don't care, you'll never share. It's only when you care does that propel you and that it drives you to share the gospel with those that don't know. Isn't that what Jesus did for us? Because we were all, we were all far from him. And he cared enough to come and to die on a cross, to be tortured and ridiculed, nails driven in his hands and his feet. Why? For us. But it started with him caring. What's the shortest verse in the Bible? Most of you know it. It's Jesus wept. It's found in John 11, verse 35. Well, what was the context in which it caused Jesus to weep? Jesus had a friend, his name was Lazarus, and, and he died. And everybody that loved Lazarus was losing their collective mind with grief because they weren't exactly certain what happens when somebody dies. 
And Jesus has compassion on people that are grieving. And it drove Jesus to weep. Why? Because he cared. And if he cared, then I believe as followers of Jesus Christ, he's commanding us to care. Since Jesus cared, we should care. That being said, this coming fall, I'm going to offer a class. We're going to, I don't know how many weeks it's going to take, but however long it takes, um, I plan on teaching how to share the gospel, how to have a conversation about Jesus, how, how, to, how to just ha- open up a conversation, and just have dialogue about, about Jesus. And we're going to go over how to start the conversation because that's one of the greatest you know, hindrances. It's like we're the junior high kid at a dance and we want to go ask somebody to dance when I'm scared so I'm not going to do it and we just live in terror. I think that's how a lot of us approach evangelism. We don't know how to start the conversation so we just don't do it, right? We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about how to handle objections. We're going, to, we're going to talk about how to lead somebody through a sinner's prayer. We're going to talk about how to have follow-up with somebody that's made a life, to, made a decision to live their life for Jesus. But it all begins by caring. That's where it, it starts. So if you've never cared for the loss, you'll never be active in sharing your faith. If you never shared, maybe that's because you never cared. I know that's offensive, but that is the truth. If you've never shared the gospel, well, that's, maybe that's because you've never cared. Step one is caring. But you know there's step two. Step two is praying. This is what I want you to know. Something that starts in your head, it should lead you to your knees. Read Romans chapter 9, beginning in verse 1 again. Paul says, I am speaking the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart, for I could wish that I myself were accursed. That word accursed is as anathema in, in the Greek. It means damned to hell is what Paul just said. That I myself were damned to hell and cut off for Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen according to the flesh. Here's my second point for us this morning. Point number two. In order to effectively share the gospel, you must pray. I think we need to stop for a minute and really consider the full weight of what the Apostle Paul just said there. Because here is Paul, a man saved by by grace through faith, and he's saying that he is willing to forfeit his eternal salvation if it were possible that his fellow Jews might be saved. That's wild, but that's what Paul just said. And you know what? I think he really means it. I really do. He's essentially saying if it were possible, it's not possible, but if it were possible, he'd be willing to go to hell for all eternity if it meant people got saved. Question. How many times have you looked at our nation, looked at our state, maybe looked at our own hometown and said something similar? How many times have you been on your knees and you prayed, Lord, take me Take me, send me to hell so that these people that are far from you can come to know you. All the time we pray things like, Lord, save our nation. But how many times have you prayed, Lord, take everything I've got, take it all from me so that these people might know you? To all the parents in the room, all the parents ever had a sick kid, how many of you ever prayed, Lord, take this hurt from them and give this to me? Have you ever prayed that? Yeah, yeah, if you're a parent, you prayed that prayer, I prayed that prayer. It was the afternoon of January 30th, 2007. McKenna Burns was born by emergency C-section. 
And she spent the first 10 days of her life in the NICU with, with tubes coming out of her nose. And I wasn't sure if she was going to live or if she was going to die. She weighed five pounds. This tiny little baby would fit in my hand. And she's in that bassinet. And I've got my hand in the little bassinet. She's holding on to my hand with her finger. And I don't know if she's going to live. And I pray, God, take me. Take me, but spare my daughter. I was like, God, she can't handle it. I can handle this. Please take her suffering. Give it to me. But allow my daughter to live. Why did I pray that prayer? Why? And I meant it. I meant every ounce of that prayer. Because I love my daughter so much, I couldn't stand to see her suffer. And I love her so much, I'm begging God, give me her pain, but spare her. And I believe that's exactly what the Apostle Paul is praying in Romans chapter 9. I believe that's what you and I must do if we want to see lives changed in our own hometown. If you want to see lives changed, if you want to see hearts that are far, far, far from Christ come to Christ, we have to pray like that. If you want to see marriages restored and families put back together, I think we have to pray like that. If we want to see people that are just caught in the grips of sexual sin, that they identify their life by that sin, we have to pray like that. If we want to see people that are, that are jamming a needle in their arm with some illicit substance that are shooting in a vein in an all-defined relief, I think we have to pray that prayer that they would, they would come to know Christ but take everything from me. You see, first we must care. And that leads us to pray. And please don't pray that prayer, oh Lord, send somebody to them. Don't pray that prayer. We have to pray and we have to love somebody so much where we say, take me so that they might be saved. This is where we say, here I am, O Lord, send me. Isn't that what the prophet Isaiah prayed? He said, here I am, Lord, send me. Stop asking God to send somebody else, but pray this, send me, God. Send me, I will go. So it begins by caring which leads you to praying, which leads to step number three. And step number three, going. Turn to Romans chapter 10, beginning in verse 14. Paul says, how then will they call on him whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? Here's my third point for us this morning. Point number three. In order to effectively share the gospel, you must go. You know, whenever something tragic happens in the com- this, this country and this world, so sometimes in our own backyard, there's a lot of people that say, well, we're sending our thoughts and our prayers. You know what? We should do that. We absolutely should be praying, but it shouldn't stop there. There's more we should be doing. We need to go. As the pastor of this church, when I find out, when I hear, hey, someone is hurting, someone is in pain, you know what I do? I go. That's what we should do. Likewise, when you hear there's lost people that need the gospel, we go. I was talking to Pastor Johannes Slabbert, and some of you know him. He's the pastor of Water of Life Church up in Cowley. And uh, I, I just say, hey, tell me some of your story. We're chatting over the phone. And, and he said, th- this is back, he had a lot less kids. If you know Pastor Johannes, he's got a pile of them now. But he said he prayed. He's praying that, that he would go. And the North American Mission Board said, hey, how about Lovell, Wyoming? 
So he and his wife and the handful of kids they had at that time, they, they went to Lovell, Wyoming. They get to Lovell, and somebody said, hey, you should drive up the road five miles and check out this place, place called Cowley. You know what he did? He went. And he got to Cowley, and no one had ever preached the gospel. There, there has never once been someone that's been there to preach this gospel salvation by grace alone, by faith alone, in Christ alone. There's a whole town that had never heard that message, and they knew this is it. So what'd they do? They left all their friends, they left all their family, they left their security to move to a little town of 600 people that barely has a gas station. Why? Because he cared. Because he prayed. And that caused him to go. And this is what Pastor Johannes said about this. Is his, this is his quote, this isn't my quote, but Pastor Johannes said, quote, God can use idiots that don't know nothing to do something. I love that. I just love his heart. He's like, I'm an idiot, but God's going to use me if, if, to do something big for him. Because again, because when you care, that leads you to pray, which leads you to go. You know, that's what we see in the Bible. In Matthew chapter 9, Jesus sees the crowd. He has compassion on them. And this is what he says to his disciples. Look in Matthew 9, verse 37. It says, and he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the labors are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out labors into his field. That's Matthew chapter 9. Do you know what comes after Matthew chapter 9? Matthew chapter 10. Some of you are thinking of it. You're right, right? And this is where Jesus sends the disciples out. Can you picture the disciples there? Lord Jesus, send somebody to them, Lord. Send somebody to preach the gospel. And then what happens? Look in Matthew chapter 10, verse 5. It says, and these 12 Jesus sent out, instructing them, go. Pretty simple instructions, right? Two letters, one word, go. Jesus like, hey, fellas, I heard your prayer. I'm the sovereign God of the universe. I heard what you're praying, and you weren't praying. You wanted someone to go? Here, I'm going to send somebody. You go. That's what he did. Because caring should lead you to praying, which leads you into action for that of which you're praying for. Because if our prayer life doesn't cause us to do something for that which we're praying for, the question we have to question our own prayer life. Because it means our prayer life is not matching up with Scripture. Christians all the time are like, hey, Lord, I want to have this deep, abiding prayer life. Lord, give me this deep, abiding prayer life. Well, if you really want that, well, then start doing something about that which you're praying for. If you want to see change in our town or, or pray or change someone, go and do something about it. And I guess that, I bet that's going to change your prayer life. Maybe you're thinking, well, that's circular reasoning, Pastor John. Well, Jesus, there was a day when Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. That's what Jesus said about this. Well, let me ask you this question. What is the most valuable possession you have? It's not money. The most valuable possession you have is time. Let me tell you this, invest your time in sharing the gospel with lost people and I'm willing to bet it will deeply affect your prayer life because that's where you're gonna be praying for the lost constantly. So just to review, Paul said, how will they call on him whom they have not believed? And how will they believe in him whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? If someone is sent, that's implying that they will go, right? So in that text, there's two groups. 
There, there's the senders and there's the goers. Who does the going? You and I, believers, we do the going. Who does the sending? That's God. God is the one that does the sending. Just maybe you remember this back when we were in the book of Acts. It was early in the church. And they're, they're, the church is coming together on Sunday, by the way. They're meeting on Sundays and they're worshiping and they're praying. It's, you know, oddly sounds a lot like what we're doing right now. Wild, right? But anyways, and the Bible says the Holy Spirit said, separate to me Paul and Barnabas for the work of which I called them. Right? That's what it says. So the church, they, they prayed and fasted. Just on a side note, that fasted, it's not something we're very good at at the Southern Baptist. Maybe that's something we need to do. But anyways, and it says they laid hands on them and the church sent them out. Who initiated the whole thing? God. God is the one to initiate the whole thing. So God sends, but you and I, we are the ones that must go. You know, this is what usually happens. Usually when a church starts up, a church is started with the best intentions. There's a group of believers, they meet and they begin to pray and they're praying for the, the hearts of the people that are lost in their city and they're meeting, they're praying, they begin having worship services. And then you start to strategize, how can we reach the, the people of our own backyards with this gospel message? How can we do that? And this is where a church begins to reach out to its community, reaching out to its communities. They're doing things, but what happens is something changes. Something changes, and then the church isn't really reaching out to its community anymore. And you know what happens? Church begins to look inward. They start to look inward, and they start to make all their decisions based off of what's good for them and not what's good for the community, right? If maybe you're doubting me right now, look at our, the Methodist church. Look at the Methodist church nationwide. You know, I would read a book. Back long ago, the Methodist circuit riders were really the, the prime movers that moved the gospel from the East Coast all the way to the, the West Coast. And, but then something happened around the 1960s. And, and then what happened in the 60s, it can very, be very clearly seen in the 1980s, where the Methodist church attendance just started dropping. And then year by year by year, it's just been a free fall in the Methodist church. Why? Because they started looking inward. And look at our own, right next door, this big, beautiful church. And I, have, I haven't been here long enough to know the whole story, but you know what, I'm, I'm willing to bet 40 years ago, that probably wasn't the case, was it? What happened? Church began to look inward, and they took their focus off the gospel. And just to tag on it, it's the height of pride to say, well, that's not going to happen to us. That will never happen here. Yes, it will. The same thing will happen to us if we take our focus off the gospel. I've heard it said that a church that does not evangelize, it soon begins to fossilize. Pick up our Bibles, read verse 13 again. The word of God says, for everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. How will they call on him whom they've not believed? And how will they believe in him who they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent as it is written? How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Here's my fourth and final point for us this morning. Point number four. In order to effectively share the gospel, you must speak. Can you see the progression in that text that Paul just, just went through? 
Paul says, everyone that calls in the name of the Lord, they will be saved. I mean, hallelujah, amen. I preach that verse more than any other verse in the Bible. I love it. But what does Paul say next? He says, how will they call on him on whom they have not believed? Makes sense, right? Perfect reasoning on the, on the side of Paul. You can't call on Jesus if you've never believed in Jesus. And then he says, and how will they hear how will they believe in him who they have never heard? You can't believe if you've never heard. Then he says, how are they to hear without someone preaching? Now, maybe you're sitting there and you're like, wow, oh, good. I'm off the hook because I'm not a preacher. Pastor Jess and Pastor John, those are the preachers. We pay them to do the preaching. Well, the word that the ESV translate as someone preaching is the Greek word kariso. You know what kariso means? It means a heralder. It means Someone who proclaims. It's a proclaimer. That's what the word means. You see, there, there, there's an old saying, and maybe you've heard this saying, and the saying goes like this. It, it, well, you should preach the gospel at all times, and, it, and if necessary, use words. Here's the problem with that statement. The gospel always requires words. You see, no one can come to know that they're a sinner, and they're separated from a holy God because of their willful sin, And they have the very wrath of that holy God bearing down on them because of their sins. But God in his love sends Jesus Christ. Jesus comes to this earth and eventually goes to the cross and he's crucified, not for his sins because he's sinless, but because of our sins. And if you, you can be forgiven of your sins if you bite God's grace through faith in what Jesus Christ did on the cross. You see, it's impossible to relay that message Without words. You have to open your mouth. You have to relay that. You have to tell somebody that gospel message. In Matthew 28, just before Jesus ascends back into heaven, he he commands his disciples to make disciples. There's the thing. You can't make disciples unless you're doing life with people. And doing life with people, it requires words. You see, before anyone can begin to become a disciple, you got to get saved. They have to experience spiritual birth. That requires words. Maybe you have to tell them your story. Maybe you're not the one that can can open up the Bible. Maybe you, you don't know all the Bible verses, but I bet you can share your story, can't you? You can tell somebody what God's done in your life. And so it it, it begins by caring, which leads you to praying, that leads you to going, and leads you to speaking. God, open your mouth. You got to say something. Let, let's say you're in 10 sleep, okay? And it's a hot summer day. I know it's tough to imagine that, right? And you're, and you're heading west and you're driving and it's a hot summer day. So that means dry grasp and, and, and dry air. And all of a sudden there's a lightning strike. And you see the, the, the lightning hit the ground and there's a fire. And the wind, by some terrible reason, is blowing westward. So there's a fire, raging fire coming at Warland. What do you do? Would you just calmly drive into town, pull into your house, and, and tell your wife and kids, hey, load up the car. We're going on a little vacation. And, and all the way, you leave the town nice and safe and sound. That's option number one. Or option number two, would you drive into town honking your horn, windows rolled down, screaming, fire! You see, the second one is the correct answer because you know that lives are going to be lost if somebody doesn't do something. Why well, won't you know eternity in hell is so much more serious than a house fire? 
Well, then why don't we take it that serious? Maybe we just skip step number one of this message. We failed to care. We have to care deeply about our people, which leads you to praying, which leads you to going, which causes you to open your mouth and say something. Look at what, what Paul said. Look in Romans chapter 10, verse 17. He said, so faith comes by what? Hearing. Hearing through the word of Christ. You see, you can't hear silence. You can't. You have to say something. In Matthew chapter 13, Jesus tells this parable of what's called the parable of the sower. And Jesus said, hey, there's a farmer goes out. He just starts pitching seed everywhere. There's four kinds of soil. Three kinds really didn't bring anything of substance, but one soil did. It was the good soil. The point of, the, of Jesus' parables, the farmer didn't make, any, didn't make the crops grow. It was the soil that made the crops grow. So when we share the gospel, here's what Jesus is saying, share with everybody. Share with every individual. And the individual that wants to accept the gospel, they'll accept the gospel and they'll be saved. Don't do the whole, well, you know, they might not get it, so I'm not going to tell them. And then they're kind of hostile to the gospel. I'm not going to share with them. Uh, this person, I'm going to go share with them because I think, don't do that. Jesus' point was tell everybody and let God sort them out. Before faith in Jesus Christ can happen, an individual must hear the gospel. That's the point of, of Romans 10, 14. Because Paul said, how are they to believe in him whom they have never heard? Maybe that's, you know, that's why we need to learn the gospel, be able to communicate the gospel. And again, I kind of prefaced this earlier, but maybe you can't remember Romans 10, or excuse me, Romans 3.23, and then Romans 6.23, then Romans 5.8, Roman, uh, Ephesians 2.8.9, Romans 10.13. That's the old Romans road. If you've been a Christian a long time, I'm sure you've heard that, but maybe you're like, I can't remember that. But I bet you can remember your story, right? Can you tell a story? We can all tell a story because every one of us had something happen in our lives. And man, I can't wait to get back and tell the people I love, right? That's what sharing your testimony is. It's just telling your story. Now, your story is different than my story. My story is different than your story. And if you ever hear my story, if we're in mixed company, you're going to get the sugar-coated version because my real story is dark. We're in just a setting of guys. You're going to get the, the NC-17 version, warts and all, but... Share your story. Now, what is the point? What is the goal in evangelism? Well, let me say this. There's a lot of people I know, they'll go out sharing the gospel, and their goal is to get people saved. I'll say that's a, that's a good goal, but a lot of times, if that's your goal, it can kind of cause you to share the gospel in an unloving way. And if it doesn't make you share it in an unloving way, maybe it just leaves you depressed when people reject the gospel. So I don't believe getting people saved is the best goal. Here's the best goal, in my opinion. Be obedient. Just be obedient. Because if your goal is obedience, your total success, it rides and falls on, on you. You are in complete and total control whether you meet your goal or not. So just be obedient to share the gospel. And then leave whether or not someone gets saved in the hand of the Lord. So here's a question. What is the gospel? Well, the word gospel, it means good news. Okay, that's literally what it means. Gospel, the gospel of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. That is these four guys telling the, what Jesus did from their point of view. So that's what it means. 
You know, but before the Bible gives us good news, it gives us bad news. Here's the bad news. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. The, the, the word sin, it means to miss the target. And, and what is the target? The target is the moral perfection of God. It means be as good as God. And every single one of us, we've all drawn our bow and we've all missed. Some of us more than others. Okay? That's what it means. What do we earn for, for, for this sin or, or missing the target? It's being separated from God. Being separated from God in hell for all eternity. But God didn't want that. Well, what did God do so that didn't have to happen? John chapter 3, verse 16. Jesus says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, and whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. You know, there's an old saying that says, If you do the crime, you're going to do the time, right? Well, here's the, the truth. We've all done the crime. It's called sin. And so the time is eternal separation from God, but the Father loves lost sinners. And so he sent Jesus on a rescue mission to die on the cross in our place for our sins. And if we accept this by faith, we're saved. It's not about being a good person because we're not good people. It's totally about what Jesus did for us in our place. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, for by grace you've been saved. Time out, this is in my notes, but that word saved, I just love it because it, it, it's, in a, it's in a tense we really don't have in, in English. It's in the perfect um, passive tense. Perfect meaning, meaning that there's past implications that has future implications. That we're saved in the future. Passive meaning we didn't do it. Who did it? Jesus did it. For by grace you've been saved through faith. And it's not of your own doing, it's a gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 is one of the hallmark texts of how anybody gets saved. It has nothing to do with you. It is 100% a work based on God's grace. And if you accept this by faith, then you receive God's gift, which is forgiveness of sins and an eternal standing in God's forever family. That's what, what Paul just told us in Romans chapter 8, that you get adopted into God's family. Did we deserve that? No, we don't deserve that. We deserve hell for the things we've done. Can we earn that? No, but we receive it by faith. But I want you to know that there's a conditional part. There is a conditional part on salvation. You're wondering, how is salvation conditional? Well, look at Romans chapter 10, verse nine. Paul says, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with, mouth, with the mouth one is, confesses and is saved. Can you see the conditional part? He said, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You will be saved. Well, what did Paul mean when he said, believe in your heart? Well, we say things like, well, I love you with all my heart. We say that. Like, I've said that to my wife. Sadly, a lot of people say that, but they don't really mean it. But you get the gist of what I'm trying to say when somebody says, I love you with all my heart. When somebody says that, we're saying, I love you with every fiber of my being. That's what we're saying. We're saying that, that my love for you is at the, at the heart of my being. What we're saying is, I'm all in. I'm pushing all in. That's what we're saying. But here's the conditional part. You have to really mean it. I mean, like, really, really mean it. You can't be kind in and kind out. You got to be, wait a minute. Jesus is God come in the flesh, died in my praise. He's perfect and holy and righteous, and I'm far from that, and yet he did that. I'm all in. 
So this is what you have to do. You have to be all in on what Jesus did for you in your place. There have been so many times that, that, that I've talked, spoke to Christians, and they're not truly all in, which means they're not Christians. They're like, yeah, I believe in Jesus, but then I'm a good person too. That's not putting your full weight in Jesus. That'd like be like me going to my bathroom and I've got a scale on the ground. I step on the scale with one foot on the scale and one foot on the ground. I go, man, I'm doing good. I weigh 165. Woohoo, right? At least I, I thought that'd get a little laugh. No, when you, what happens when you put your full weight on that scale? You go, holy cow, I'm fat. No, that, no. But when you put your full weight in Jesus, you know what you should say? Holy cow, I've got a great Savior. I am so sinful, but he is such a great savior. When you see just how sinful, how wretched you are, but then you see how perfect King Jesus is, the only option is call out to him like Paul said. Romans 10, 13. For everyone who calls in the name of the Lord, they will be saved. I don't know how many times I've talked to somebody and I said, this is my question. If you died tonight, where would you go? Very often they say heaven And then my answer, my response to that is, well, it doesn't work like this. Pretend it works like this. What if you did die and you went to the gates of heaven and God was standing there and he asked you by your name, why should I let you in my heaven? What would you say to him? And very often, a very common answer I get is, well, I I believe in God. And that's a a good answer. But let me see, there's a problem with that. James, the half-brother of Jesus, he says, you believe in God. God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and they shudder. You know what James is saying? He's saying, whoopity do you believe in God? The demons believe. And I'd add on, they've had a face-to-face conversation with God. But when everything's said and done, demons aren't going to heaven. So my point is, there has to be more than mere head knowledge that there is a God in order to be saved. You must believe that Jesus Christ, second member of the Trinity, is God come in the flesh. He died for you, for me, for my sins, your sins in my place, and that was raised to give eternal life. When that is what you believe, that's when you call on the name of the Lord and you're saved. Now, I titled this sermon, Why the Gospel? Here's my reasons why. Let's say you go to a big city. You're in New York, Denver, LA, someplace like that, and there's a huge skyscraper. And this skyscraper is totally engulfed in flames. I mean, it's like a five-alarm fire. People are going to die. It's as bad as it gets. In that situation, there's four types of people. Person number one, they just stand there in fear. They don't know what to do. There's gawking. They're like, it's, it, it's on fire. They're frozen. That's person number one. Person number two, they scream and yell, the building's on fire. I know. I can see the flames just like you can, Right? Person number three, they bring water to the fire and they try to put out the flames. That seems like a reasonable, a reasonable response, right? But this one, it's totally out of control. This one's going to be a total loss. No amount of water will ever put out this fire. Here's person number four. They run into the building and they try to pull out as many people as they possibly can while there's still time. That's our job. If you are a Christian, You are a spiritual first responder. My job, your job, we go into this world, that's on fire. It's gonna come down in flames and we share the gospel and we pull out as many people that are trapped inside this building before it's too late. How do we do that? We share the gospel. That's it. 
Tell them about Jesus. And mind you, it begins by caring, which leads you to praying. And if you pray, well, then you should be going. And as you go, speak. One last scripture to share with you. Last book of the Bible, book of Revelation. This is Jesus speaking in Revelation 3, verse 20. Jesus says, behold, I stand in the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me. That's Jesus. And he's standing, he's knocking on the door of our hearts. I believe there's three responses everybody gets. Response number one, ignore the knocking. Just ignore Jesus knocking on the door saying, let me in. Let me in. Ignore him. Response number two, open the door and tell him, go away. I don't want your love. Or response number three, open the door and invite Jesus in. You've never invited Jesus to come into your heart to save you. I would beg you to do that now. There must be this moment of, of spiritual reality where you recognize, I'm separated from God. I've lied. I've, 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 I've taken that doesn't belong to me. My thought life alone condemns me, and I'm separated from God. But Jesus came to die in my place. Forgive me my sins. And when you call out to him, you will be saved. Say, dear Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner, but you love me. and You came and you died in my place for my sins. I give you my life. Save me, Lord Jesus. And I say this in the perfect name of Christ. Amen.